before we get there, I thought I'd share a story of vulnerability to connect with with, uh, with you guys. It's uh, 17 years ago. I'm 21 years old. I've just joined this spiritual community. We only had one venue in Rondebosch, and it's the first ever young adults camp, and I happen to find myself there. But I see pre-existing relationships, people that have gone on for years before I was on the scene. Now, I do feel slightly out. Uh, Rigby speaks about the book of Ephesians, and he actually does a masterful job of just unpacking those first three chapters, which speak about all that God has done. That essentially says the initiative is all from heaven to earth. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, in, in heaven is, I mean, what's it? <laughs> on earth as it is in heaven, there we go. On earth as it is in heaven. We're not trying to get earth up to heaven. No, it's, it's, it's heaven that's come down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, as we've sung about and meditated on already today. And it just gripped me, the story of what God had done and how then the rest of the book of Ephesians, which we've kind of pivoting towards now from chapter 4 onwards, is all about how we work it out and how we live in response to the good news of who Christ is. And so I suddenly realized I'd been very busy in my life doing a lot of different things, hoping that those things would add up to a meaningful life, but perhaps I'd missed the big deal. Uh, the kind of things that I'd been involved in. I was writing for the Varsity newspaper. I was chairman of the debating society on this Commerce Students Council. I was busy doing my CA studies. And all in all, I was, I was going to put together an amazing CV to apply for a Rhodes Scholarship. That was the game plan. That was what was going to add up to a meaningful life. And on this camp, I suddenly realized, whoa, I, I've been putting a lot of energy in, but perhaps I'd missed the big event, that heaven had, had come to earth and had, had revealed who God was. And so I, I grabbed Ruby. I said, Ruby, can we chat? We went out afterwards. We sat on a bench. And I must say, to my embarrassment, I ran quickly past my room to collect my CV because I thought I needed to tell Rigby that he had one of the A-team joining him now and that, and that I was going to be a great asset to the forward movement of God's kingdom. I'm so grateful that I never actually handed the CV over. I kept it close to my chest. But I hope you can hear in the clumsiness of that event 17 years later, there was much work that God needed to do still in my life, right? And that work continues. But I can say that all the busyness, all the activity that had gone into my life has, has been surrendered, has, has come under the leadership of what, of what I've seen to be revealed in Jesus Christ's life. That it's not a, 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 a building up to try to get into heaven, but it's, a, it's an acceptance of what God has come and done amongst us. And it was this book that had opened that up. It's shown me that, that, that what I believed to be true and my actions just weren't as, as submitted to who God is as I would have hoped. And so I hope no matter how you arrived here tonight and no matter where you find yourself on this journey, I hope that <laughs> heaven colliding with your life, that, that on earth as it is in heaven, would start to already be a theme of what God does with us tonight. So this city of Ephesus, I thought I'd just quickly show you a map. We've been introducing it every week, but I thought let's have a little look at a map. There's, there's some water bodies that's kind of on the side, so it's on the port there. You'll see also there's a gymnasium there, there's a stadium, another gymnasium. There right at the top is the Temple of Artemis, where many would go to worship. And it's a, it's a, it's a city in Turkey that has now been silted up. When the, when the water moved away, the city came to an end. But you can still go there today and see a lot of these sites. So uh, a couple in our church went and did that. Drew and Polly, there's Polly in the theater. Can see quite a big seated theater. The next is Drew, kind of giving you how it would, you'd ride up in your chariot to go and enjoy the theater. And then this is the library. This is the library in Ephesus, very fancy. And I thought to myself, gee, could we relate? Could we relate to a place like this? And I think we can. Let's have a look at our map of Cape Town. You see, we've also got uh, water. Um, we've also got a stadium there. We've got lots of gymnasiums. We've got marketplaces as well. There's our stadium. We've got um, uh, gyms. And also a library. There's our library. <laughs> <coughs> so 
So there's much, there's much in common. There's much in common and, uh, and, and, and much that we can learn from this city of people that were, were at the time a minority in, in a very pagan city. And uh, what we're learning in this particular last few chapters is the following. We learned last week about the kind of character that God calls us to, that he says, in light of all that I've done, I've got, a, I've got a blueprint for how I've designed you, the way that you should walk out your life. Tonight, we're going to focus in particular on that concept of unity. How does a diverse group of people create <laughs> unity? Uh, next week, Kyle's going to be chatting around how God does want unity, but he doesn't want uniformity. We've all been given different gifts. He's given us different experiences, different backgrounds, different perspectives. And so that diversity <laughs> comes together beautifully as we all grow into maturity. So this bit really is the pivot that says, in light of what God's done, he has the people that he's putting on display for the world, that he's won the victory, but we get to display the victory. It's going to take character, unity, diversity, and maturity, and we're going to spend these weeks <coughs> chatting around that. And of course, tonight is about unity, and so I'd, I'd already start asking a few questions to you now. When, when have you felt the most unified with a group of people? When have you felt like, this is where I belong, this is the sweet spot? Have you ever had an experience like that? Perhaps on the flip side, you had an experience where you thought, this is going to be amazing, and it just <coughs> fell apart. And you were like, that was just so fractious. It was terrible. Uh, I can't believe that that descended in, and ended up where it did. Maybe you had an experience where you thought, this is going to be terrible. And by the end, you were like, oh, my goodness. One plus one equals three there. How did, how did that happen? How did, how did that unity come about? This is a mysterious thing. Before I became a child accountant, I said to my dad, I want to study HR. I want to study teams. I want to study how you, you create something out of nothing sometimes. You create those magical moments. What does that? How does that happen? It's something that's always fascinated me, and then I became an accountant. <laughs> but tonight, we get to revisit that and think to ourselves, what, what is it about unity? And Paul wants to point it out to us. So now we're going to read. Uh, some verses together from chapter 4, from verses 1 to 7. We're going to focus in from verses 3 to 6, but let's read all of them to get the context. Paul writes and says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Can you please join with me in prayer? We say, God, this morning, uh, this evening, we want to thank you to speaking, for speaking to us through your word, for teaching us your ways. Uh, we declare that you're good, that your steadfast love endures forever. And we look to you, Jesus, to lead us this evening and teach us what it means to be united around those highest common denominators. We come as different people with different experiences, different backgrounds. You know each and every one of our stories. Yet your desire for us is to be united <coughs> and to put you on display in this world. And we pray that you do that work amongst us. Amen. Amen. So last week, guys, we, we looked in particular at that one phrase, which was worthy of the calling. It comes a little bit sooner. It, it's, it's, a, it's a word that speaks to our call to character, that, that there is a God who's made us, who's created us, and he's saying, man, the way you live your life is important, the way you work it out. He didn't say at the end of chapter 3, look to Jesus or just meditate on Jesus. No, he says, that, that's part of the story, yes, but now you walk it out. Now you live a life. It's going to include some humility. It's some gentleness, patience, that you're going to bear with one another. 
that you're going to maintain this unity of the Spirit and that you're going to do it in the bond of peace. And so our character matters, and now the call tonight is that phrase, maintain the unity, maintain the unity. That's what he's trying to challenge those in the book of Ephesus to do because they had very different people, Jew, Gentile, young, old, those that had followed the law meticulously all their lives, those that had never even known about the Old Testament and had never read it. How were they going to get on? And this theme of unity is incredibly important. And I want to just say right at the beginning that we can get this wrong. When, when you hear the phrase maintain the unity, do you translate it in their mind to basically mean keep the peace? Just basically don't cause trouble. Just kind of, you know, fit in with everyone else. Don't rock the boat. Uh, the way you could kind of think of it is it's just unity for unity's sake. You know, don't, don't try and ruffle any feathers. Just make sure that you fake it even if you don't agree with it. And if someone gives a wild, you know, out there thing, just, just keep the peace maintain the unity. I think that's not at all what Paul's speaking about. That would be, that would be fake unity, pseudo-unity. I mean, that's if you follow the sort of storm norm kind of, con- you know, that whole pattern that groups go through. That's the fake bit before, before you actually get real with one another. I went to a boys' school. We're very polite. When we actually get to know you, we start teasing you. You know, that's kind of how it works. Some of you who have brothers know this. Um, and and it's, in that, it's in that teasing that you actually come out the other side and figure out, like, oh, this is how you fit in. But when you try to just maintain the unity, it's all very prim and proper. No one is honest. That's not what Paul's talking about. And so right at the beginning, I want to challenge our thinking of what it means to come to church, what it means to be a community, what it means to have unity. It's not that. There's something else that Paul wants for this group of people in Ephesus. And I want it for us in the city of Cape Town. See, we do come here with all our distinctives. We've got different nationalities, different experiences, different backgrounds. God's (coughs) called us in all kinds of different ways, but he's brought us together here tonight in Seapoint. And it's important for us to focus on what he has in mind when he speaks about unity. How does all this diversity come together? And what Paul speaks about and what we'll look at in the next, pass, next verse is he speaks about all those things that unify us. So he doesn't start at a horizontal level saying, okay, come on, guys, figure out what's your favorite sport, what's your favorite stuff. He says, no, 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 what, what's brought you here are all these incredible things. And he uses the word one seven times. He speaks about one body, spirit, one hope, Lord, faith. Baptism, God and Father. He just uses it over and over again. And I'm sure you went through enough poetry classes at school to, to understand if someone uses that word a lot, they mean something by it. What he's basically saying is, guys, if you want unity, look for those highest common denominators. If you, if you want to get, get going in this life with, with your creator and the mission he's given you in this earth, focus on those highest common denominators. But if you're anything like me, it's so quick that we can pivot around and actually look at some very trivial things and try and find unity with those. Well, certainly those trivial things can push us towards disunity. Our personal preferences, our economic status, our politics, our married status or lack thereof, or or wherever we find ourselves in our careers, even the suburbs we live in, there's so many things that we can use to distinguish ourselves and make us different that can lead towards disunity. And so I think there's some very considerate people that have looked at this and said, man, we're, we're falling apart as a community, as a society, in a grand scale. What are the things that can unite us? But instead of looking at those highest common denominators of where did we come from, what happens when we die, what's true, what's meaningful, we've had to settle on trying to build unity around what I would describe as sometimes being um, lowest common denominators. 
And they mean well. I think the theory is you build unity here, and then you slowly but surely rebuild society. So you say, guys, the rhino, we need to stop killing the rhino. And I don't think there's anyone here that would disagree, right? That's, it's what's, that's why it's nice to choose that, because it, it kind of unites everyone, and everyone agrees with that. Um, plastic straws, plastic straws, they're terrible. They're terrible for the environment. I now walk with my children along the beach, and anytime they see plastic, they freak out. You worry one of them drowned, but actually it's just plastic has come up, and a turtle could die. And these kids are getting taught all of these things. And I'm, I think the theory is if we can unite around these, hey, then we'll slowly build stronger bridges for weightier discussions. But I don't know if you've paid attention. I don't think those weightier discussions ever happen. We long for unity and we're trying our best. But I would suggest, and what Paul, I think, is suggesting is that there's a unity that needs to come from the highest common denominators, the big questions in life. And that's why I love Alpha, because what Alpha does is it, for once, it creates the space. It says, hey, guys, we're going to have a talk, and then we want to create space for people to discuss the big questions. And purposefully at tables, we'll put one Christian at most, and the majority of the table will be those that don't have faith yet, and they're asking the questions, because we don't want it to be a, a glorified gang-up session on one or two people that have genuine questions. We want it to be about creating a space in Cape Town where people can say, yeah, you know, I have been trying to use less plastic, and, and I care about the rhino, but truthfully, life is still not as meaningful as I'd want it to be. And we'd say, man, he has a space to ask some deep questions about life, and we want you to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, last time, my wife and I invited, and we had over 12 people come, friends and family. We were so surprised. People from all kinds of different backgrounds were saying, actually, this has been incredible, and that hustle and bustle of life to create space to ask these deep questions in, a, in an environment that allows it is incredibly refreshing. And so we might build or try and build unity around all things. I mean, you might have a great sports club, a great book club, a great, a great event that you enjoy doing. But how robust is it in light of those big questions of life when, when tragedy strikes, when, 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 you, when your purpose is questioned? It, it, it needs more. It can't carry the weight. And so we now will pay our attention not on those unity things that come and go, but on those unity principles that truly do define us. Paul writing to those in Ephesus would say, you're under pressure, there's lots going on, but find unity in these things. Find unity in the fact that you're one body. That you're one body. That, that you might be very different. You might be an arm, a leg, an ear, an eye, but you're one body. The head of that body is Jesus Christ, and he's busy building you. Notice he, he does say one body, and he says one spirit, because what he's saying is there's something spiritual going on here. When you gather, when you focus on Christ, when you see heaven invading earth, and you, and you invite that work of, of God pouring out his spirit in you, there's something incredibly empowering and spiritual happening that is transforming our lives, that's taking me from 17 years ago to standing in front of you today, that's, that's transforming lives. It's one body, but that spirit is transforming it as it goes. This was a theme Paul picked up a lot of. We can read in 1 Corinthians 12, him making the same point when writing to that church in Corinth. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I love this because Paul conceive. Hey, they're Jews, they're Greeks, they're slaves, they're free, they're male, they're women. There's, there's so much difference. He's not trying to pretend like there's no difference. He's saying there are differences, but man, how incredible we've been brought into one body through what Christ has done, the good news of our Savior coming. And there's this, this one body with different gifts that Carl will touch on next week, but it's empowered by the Spirit. 
That's why when we gather, when we make space in prayer meetings and worship nights, what we're doing is we're saying, God, we, we need you. We're not primarily around an organization and getting people in the right rosters and all that. Organization's good. I'm, I mean, you're glad your physical body's organized, right? You wouldn't want, like, the ear thinking, what should I do today, right? You're like, no, yeah. Do the thing that you do, right? You want some level of organization. But at the exact same time, you, you need a spirit. You need something of power coming through your body that, that when your eyes wake up, you go, man, there's something, there's an initiative, there's something I want to give my physical body to today. In the same way, we as a church gather, and we want organization. We want those elements to be there. But we long more for God's spirit to, to empower us and to move amongst us. That's how we find unity. It's recognizing we're one body and one spirit flowing through our lives. And it's Paul at this point that he stops. He says, man, if they're going to maintain their unity, they need to remember there's one hope. They need to remember that there's something that we're looking forward to. There's, there's the resurrection of Christ. There's the truth that he died, but more importantly, he rose again. That's why we speak about Christ not just being our hope, but being our living hope. He's seated in the high places. He's, he's the one who's conquered death and who now reigns and, and pours out his spirit on those who gather in his name. Paul had early in the book reminded us of this. This is a prayer he prayed in, right in the first chapter to remind you of it. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, that you may know, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? There can be circumstances in life groups and in life where people are going to be broken. They're going to be hurt. And it's not an opportunity to say, hey, man, don't worry. No, we grieve. We, we cry with each other. We, we struggle with each other. But whilst they might go through sorrow, we will not go through despair because we have a God who presents to us a living hope. Yes, we're sad. Yes, we cry. And through tears, we declare these kind of verses over each other, saying, May, I pray that you might know the riches of his glorious inheritance. I pray that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power. And it's to the living hope that we look to. And it's Paul kind of realizing, man, you've got one body, one spirit, one hope, and then he, then he declares who that hope is. He then goes on, he says, it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He speaks about Jesus. This is why the, the people were gathered in that city of Ephesus, because Jesus Christ had, had arrived, had raised from the dead, and Paul had seen him, had encountered him, and come and preached there for two years, and that message had gone out, and people's lives were being transformed. It was many ways incredible that all the Roman gods were there, all the temples were there, all the gymnasiums, all the distractions, all the theaters, and this group of people were saying, no, it's about Jesus, our one Lord. He's a Savior, yes, but he's also Lord, and we're learning how to do life under his leadership. We're placing our faith in him, and we've been baptized in his name. That God made flesh, dwelt amongst us, and has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. Again, Paul is just summing up some things he'd spoken about earlier in the book. Remember this from Ephesians 2 when he wrote, But God, those incredible uh, words that um, can change the whole trajectory of history. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Incredible thing about Jesus Christ is that he's made dead people alive. That it's not impressive people that are trying to get their CV together that invade heaven. No, it's, it's Jesus Christ coming to each and every one of us and making himself available to whoever calls on his name and declares his leadership of their lives. 
It's not successful people primarily, it's surrendered people. To be successful is redefined, it's, it's coming under his leadership. And so Paul is longing for us to be united around these highest common denominators. And the truth that he's made us alive is one of the highest we can get. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then there's one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Uh, Christ is, is our Lord, but God the Father is the one who sent him and who pours out the Spirit and who Paul wants to remind us is powerful, who's glorious, who's good. He uses now the word all. He's gone from one to all. He's kind of speaking about the completeness of God, just how God is overall, through all, in all, that God is glorious. He's the creator. He's wonderful. I was challenged when Kev Murphy was with us a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, God is glorious. God is wonderful. God is uncreated. God is holy. God is pure. And if we don't declare that, if we don't say that, God isn't less any of those things. He remains who he is. That is who God is, unchangeable, glorious, majestic. He doesn't get damaged when we withhold praise. It's, it's us that get damaged. It's our lives that move out of kilter. It's, it's our, our grids that then get, get impressed by trivial small things, and we lose the truth of who God is. No, when we declare these things to God, God doesn't get stronger. God doesn't get boosted. No, God stays who he is. But we get correctly aligned and find, find unity in the life that we get to live in this glorious city. God is overall, through all, and in all. It's God's initiative at work always. And I love this, the completeness of this language, of God's thoroughness and his, his glory and his majesty. And for those that have studied Scripture, you'll, you'll notice that God is uh, described um, in the Old Testament in the following ways. It was read as our call to worship. It was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's this incredible unity to God that God's not saying, hey, you should be unified. That's something I always thought was a good idea. No, God is unified himself. God has unity, and he, he longs for us to reflect himself to the world, that he made us in his image. And so for, for years, the, the people of God had gathered and said, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. We shall love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that was a, a verse that Jesus himself was uh, reminded his disciples of when asked. He said, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, hey, what, what does the law say? And this is what was quoted back. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus said, yes. That's right. That's exactly it. That's what you should do. That's how a correctly ordered life comes about. That's how united around the highest common denominator comes about. And you'll notice what Paul's, um, and what, what is said then in the book of Deuteronomy. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That every single aspect of your life should have a degree Agree a fragrance, a perspective of who God is. All the physical states you can be in. You're either walking, you're either lying down, you're either rising, you're either sitting. But there's something of God in your life. And remember, at that time, there would have been multiple deities. In the city of Ephesus, there would have been multiple deities. There would have been incredible pressure when you went on a journey to pray to the God of the journey, when you came into your house to pray to your house gods, to, to, when you went out to the harvest to pray to the harvest gods. There were many gods that you had to kind of juggle and get everything right, and there were, there were quite a lot of jealousy amongst them, and you might not get it right with each one. And It was an incredible, liberating tr truth to be declared to the people, say, no, no, there's one God. There's one God over all gods. This is the God who created you. 
And this is the God that you give your life to, that you get unified under his leadership. And maybe at this point you're saying, but Paul, that can seem quite narrow. If we, if we look at the claim that there's one God, that there's one Father, there's one Lord, that, that it seems quite narrow. And I've often in conversations with people sincerely saying, you know, Paul, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm nervous of something that sounds so narrow. And I think what that normally means is that I prefer things to be wide open. I prefer, I prefer broad options. It just feels like there's more spaciousness in that. But yet, I would say that that's a mistake to make. Because to label something narrow doesn't, doesn't mean you don't have to investigate it, right? A, a, a way of kind of thinking about this is I could say to my kids, guys, you know, lay off the sugar, you know, not, not juice, let's have water. Water is good for you, right? And Patty could look at me and be like, dad, that's narrow. It's narrow, dad. And then keep sucking back his juice, right? I'd be like, no, 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 Patty, let's, let's look at this. To label it narrow doesn't mean that, that you could just write it off. It's either true or it's not true. It's either true or it's not true. Let's investigate it. Jesus Christ stands and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in response, you could say, that's narrow, or you could say, well, it's true or it's false. And I need to investigate that. And you can go on a journey, and we'd love to do that with you, where you investigate his claims, where you study his death and resurrection. You go back to Easter. If Easter's not true, the whole thing falls apart. And we study it, and we look at it, and we don't say, it's narrow, therefore I'm not even going to look at it. We say, it's either true or it's not, and therefore it deserves explanation. I think too often we've adopted just this cultural practice of saying anything exclusive, anything that stands with conviction is narrow and therefore should be just automatically dismissed, where I think a fair reflection is to say, ah, that's true, or it's not, and we should investigate it. See, and when you do, I think you start to see a whole new world that's been turned upside down. If God did invade, if God has come, if God is looking to reconcile all creation to himself, it changes everything. It changes everything. And so the call here is to look at these highest common denominators. And I've put a question mark now to say, is it that easy to maintain the unity? So go back to the slide. Is it actually okay to maintain? Is it, I mean, does it work? Do we maintain the unity? Is it that easy? Do we not just get distracted? There's so many, so many reasons Paul's giving that we should be unified, but yet we can get distracted. And a, a brief bi, uh, a biographical note here, you know, Lee and I, a year and a half ago, we're living in Rondebosch. We had a place just behind the Common Ground Church there. We um, had jobs there. We, we were doing life there, and we just felt God's call to come to the city, to come be a part of this community. And that's what happened a year and a half ago. And we moved in, and we, we kind of stepped into this community, and it's been incredible to see how no matter how different all of us are, different backgrounds, as we've done life together, it's incredible to see how that unity has built up inside of us uh, incredible appreciation for this truth, that when you are united around these highest common denominators, your experience can be incredibly life-giving. We're deeply grateful for the people of this community and for what we've experienced in the last year and a half. We believe the best years are still to come, and, and yet I, I'm challenged by the thought that there might be people in the room today that would say, yeah, I'm not sure if that's my experience. I don't know if I'm that committed to unity. I'm not sure that it is that important in my life. Perhaps it's because you've had the wrong idea. You thought unity was that fake kind, the keep the peace kind, the don't actually ask your questions kind, don't surface your doubts, don't actually speak truth, right? It's, it's pseudo-unity. Maybe tonight, for the first time, you've seen that what God has in store for his church and for his people is a unity built on the big questions of life and the truth of who God is.
We're to walk in a manner worthy and we're to maintain the unity. But notice the key words are maintain the unity in the Spirit. That's the core. We're not just to maintain the unity, we maintain the unity in the Spirit. But sometimes this doesn't grip us. Sometimes this just doesn't grip us. M. Scott Peck wrote a brilliant book uh, called The Road Less Traveled, and it's got the most amazing first sentence in it. It says, life is difficult. You're like, whoa, this is the opposite of a self-help book, right? Life is difficult. And then he moved on from that book, and he did a lot of work with community, and he said, why is it that we get it wrong? A bit like that question I've been investigating my whole life. Why is it some teams get it and some teams don't? What is it about? And he put together a whole book, uh, Different Drama, I think it's called, and he thought this is going to really help communities. It's going to help people. And he thought the churches of the world would lap this up. He thought spiritual community is going to be so into this because it's going to help them understand and work through the issues. And he was shocked to find that most churches were just not interested. Most spiritual communities were like, nah, not that interested. But corporates gobbled it up because people were saying, you know what, I spend a few hours a week with these people. You know, I can suck it up and it's fine. I, I, you know, I can get along with all the differences. But in the corporate environment where I'm spending 40, 60, <coughs> 80 hours with people, I really want this stuff to help me get unified. And it kind of challenged me because I thought about myself and I thought, man, am I... Am I what is, what is my major community? Who am I doing life with? Obviously, I've got family, but then I've got so many other options. Which ones have gripped my heart? Which are the ones that I really want to work well, and which ones have I relegated to, to being subsidiary? And I thought about it, and I thought about the park run. Do you guys know about the park run? Every Saturday morning at 8 a.m., you get to run five kilometers, and I just love this, man. It's measurable. I get my time. I get my points for my medical aid, and I, I would arrive, and I'd run with my buddies, and we'd hold each other accountable, like, why weren't you there last week? Oh, sorry, you know, and then we'd see measurable progress over time. We'd build relationship. It was incredible that this community just started forming around this particular thing. Perhaps it's your gym. Perhaps you do little 15-minute workouts and you, you come out of there like heart pumping and you're there every week, same time, same place. You train together. You hold each other accountable. Personal transformation is happening. Measurable progress. If you walked into gym with like a big ice cream, people would be like, what are you doing? They'd slap it out your hand. You're like, there's a greater goal here. Like, what are you doing? There's just, there's just a hecticness about what you're doing. Maybe in a startup environment, you're just hustling hard mornings, late nights, and it's just quite invigorating. The question to ask is, what, what do we think of when we think of a spiritual community, when we think of brothers and sisters in this room? Do we start to think in similar categories? We're, Man, I long for personal transformation. I'm, I want to become more Christ-like. I, wanna, I want that humility, that gentleness to develop in my life. I, I long for people to hold me accountable. I don't want to just arrive there and be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing anything, just fine. And everyone be like, hey, man, it's cool. That's your space, you know. CrossFit wouldn't do that to you, man. CrossFit would beat you up. They'd get you into shape, right? The, the, the relationships are formed around following Christ together, that we as Sea Point could get in each other's lives, and that we'd say, man, I long to see my brothers and sisters lifted up and becoming more like God intended for them. In many ways, I'd say that sometimes we can be, we can be married to our, our gym workouts, married to our work environments, married to our, our, our um, Parker and community, but just be dating the church. I think the call for Paul is, man, that thing is so fragile. What happens when you get injured? Just very practically, what happens when you get old? You can't run that fast. What happens when you lose your job? What, it collapses, and your whole identity was built on that. These things are not bad. This is the tricky thing. They're not, they're not, they're not the good things. Just they're not ultimate things, and that's where we get it wrong. And our allegiance and our hearts can be transformed into becoming the creative minority that still goes to work, that still goes to gym, that still does all these things, but doesn't find that as our primary identity, our primary space for accountability, for personal transformation, and for life change. 
And I know some of you in hectic seasons, I was always impressed by my sister who had long nights. And I, I mean, she, I was going to bed, she was working. I mean, it was crazy. And she would say, I can't go to life group, I'm on shift then. But would make a point of having coffees with her life group leader and connecting with people outside of the normal rhythms. For some of you, you have to do that for the next couple of years as your life goes through that concertina pressure stage. But get this, that you have got such valuable, valuable uh, unity available to you and you'd, you'd be crazy not to make yourself... Uh, squeeze it into somehow into your life. And so this group of people listened to Paul. Here's the incredible thing. They turned the city upside down. For one month, people would shut down the whole city and just worship Artemis. It was all about that God and the festivals and everything. And this group of people just started transforming that city and changing it. You can look at history and study the rise of Christianity, how they laid down their lives for others. The one writer said, you know, they are generous with their bodies. I mean, no, generous. <laughs> this, is, this, is the, this is the truth. Most people were generous with their bodies and stingy with their money, but the early Christians were generous with their money and stingy with their bodies, that they lived completely countercultural, and, and it, it, it transformed these cities. And so tonight, I'm going to invite us uh, to respond with communion. I'm going to call the band up. And an application for some people tonight, for the first time, could say, Paul, I've been collecting up a super CV that I was hoping would lead to a meaningful life. And I was going to present that to God one day and say, God, look at me. I did my best. And God would say, well, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with my son, the, the Lamb of heaven, coming to lay down his life on the cross, raised in resurrection power, pouring out his spirit, creating unity in this world, a world that's desperate for unity, saying to people, man, there's one body, there's one spirit, there's one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, pouring out the spirit. And he's saying, don't, don't date me and marry all kinds of other people in your life and try and find meaning there. No, come to me, bow to me. And in that verse, we'll look at it next week because Kyle preaches, but it, there's words, but grace. But grace, if you felt a heaviness tonight and you felt a sense in which you've been missing it and maybe you've been pouring yourself out in the wrong direction, but grace, that God wants to make himself known to you tonight. Please stand with me. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to respond with communion while the band plays in the background. There are tables at the front and also at the back. And having spoken about unity, I think it's appropriate to end our time by praying, not as individuals, but actually as Groups, maybe groups of two or three, four or five, take your communion elements, come back, and as those groups of three or four people, why don't you pray around those highest common denominators? The truth that we're one body, the truth that we've got one spirit available. Maybe it's a prayer of hope over each other, a reminder of who the Lord is, of, his, of the faith, the baptism, whatever it is. It would be fantastic if we now could just allow some of the overflow of what Paul encouraged them all those years to splash over our lives. And so I encourage you now, as the band plays in the background, to come to the front, gather with two or three people, and let's pray prayers of unity as we celebrate what Christ Jesus has done for us. And maybe tonight, for the first time, you're going to do this, someone who believes in Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I encourage you to do that as we celebrate together. Let's enjoy communion.